What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. Hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. That account is where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content gets posted from. These podcasts, my written work, all the rest of our staff's written work. And it's where our draft guide is going to be posted as well, of course, on sportsethos.com. But if you're somebody who likes to spend your day on Twitter, going through different links, clicking on different articles, whatever, going through the feed, uh, you follow Ethos Fantasy BB, and that's where all of our content will be for this upcoming season. Very excited about all the stuff we have going on. The draft guide. I'm not going to put an official date on it just yet. We're still figuring out. Like I, I know what the content is going to be. We're just figuring out who's going to do what at this point. Uh, it'll probably be middle, end of February, but we're not going to put an exact date on it. Definitely something that you guys should be keeping an eye out for, though. Now, we're going to get back into first base rankings today. Yesterday, I was joined by my good friend, one of my best friends in the baseball industry, Mike Carter. He was here to talk White Sox. If you're going to talk White Sox, you got to get Mike Carter on. It's just It's just the way it works here. Always a great time talking with him. I was, I've had him on the show. This is the third time he was on. Uh, we talked in Arizona. We had a few drinks together. We had a couple meals together. It was, it was a fantastic time really getting to know him. You guys should check out the episode from yesterday if you haven't already. We are going to get back to first base rankings. It was, you know, it worked out schedule-wise. We had Mike on yesterday. But we're going to talk about the last third. I guess it's not – we're not going through every first baseman. We're doing top 30. Uh, we're going to talk about my last third of that, though. I just did want to say, though, here off the top, because it's kind of bothered me a little bit. Uh, the Trevor Bauer situation is just absurd to me at this point in time. Like, and I put out a tweet talking about it earlier today about why I'm I'm not interested in taking him this year. But my Jesus Christ, he's going out in the top 250 now. He was somebody who was not being drafted whatsoever. He was somebody like I don't remember what his ADP was before his suspension was lifted. It was like 700 something. Roughly 700. I don't. I don't have it exactly in front of me here because it's it's been a while now. But he was not being drafted. He was somebody that was an afterthought, and he should have been an afterthought because he's not very good to begin with. He's not pitched in two years. You know, I, I laid it out on Twitter today. I talked about it earlier, and I, I've been kind of slow with Twitter recently over the last couple of months. I've been back into school. There's been basketball stuff going on as well. Uh, my presence is going to start picking up over there, and I thought I'd tweet out a few things today. One of them was about Trevor Bauer. And, you know, getting pushback on the statement that Trevor Bauer sucks, I don't think you should get any pushback on it. If, if that's the kind of person that you want to defend, that you want to go out there and say, oh, wait, hold on, no, 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 wait, it's blah, 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 blah. No, I, I don't buy into that at all. Uh, there was Because there was somebody who, who came at me on Twitter saying, oh, you're, you're, you're stupid for saying this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I broke it down statistically either. It wasn't just... You know, I hate Trevor Bauer, and you should all hate Trevor Bauer, and blah, blah, blah. No, you know, if you look at his stats from before 2020 and then after 2020, they're vastly different. And, you know, let's just look at it real quick here. Just for a couple minutes, we'll talk about it. Since 2020, a 224 ERA, a 357 FIP, 351 X FIP. He's allowed a 218 BABIP, which is incredibly stupidly low, and he's left almost 90% of runners on base. Now, all the years prior to 2020, he had a 404 ERA, a 392 FIP, a 4X FIP, a 298 BABIP, which is right in line with league average pretty much, and he allowed 73% of runners, or he stranded, I should say, 73% of runners. Pretty much, you know, in line with average numbers in baseball. 
Those last two seasons that he had were incredible. They were very good seasons. They were also very lucky seasons. And I pointed this out. He's almost, you know, gone almost two years without pitching. He hasn't signed with a team. Very lucky, blah, blah, blah. And they ended it off with saying he sucks. And I get, you know, you get pushback on that for whatever reason because some people want to defend someone like Trevor Bauer when there's really no reason to. He's not a very good pitcher. And he's also a shitty human being. There's no reason to be drafting him really at all this year, let alone inside the top 250 picks. He's, he's bordering on a top 100 pitcher pick. We're talking starters, relievers, everything. And he's going currently, and you know, looking at these last thir- or 50 in drafts, 251 is his ADP. What are we doing? What the hell are we doing here as, as an industry, drafting Trevor Bauer that high up? He shouldn't be drafted at all, I don't think. You know, I, I don't think he's exactly the same as Deshaun Watson, but I put him in the same group of, you know, screw them. We don't, I don't want them on my teams. I don't want them around playing in their respective leagues. I, I just, I personally am of that opinion. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen to the podcast. I'm not, I don't usually take that kind of stance on things, but with Trevor Bauer, Deshaun Watson, that kind of behavior, I, ha- I have no time for it. And from a baseball point of view, from a football point of view, you could make maybe some arguments. Oh, you know, you could take him here and maybe he gets signed and he, maybe he has another good year. I don't care about those arguments. I don't really want to hear them. The fact that he's gone up so high by ADP is just ridiculous, and I think it's an indictment on the people who have taken him, especially the minimum pick of 211. What the hell are we doing, man? Like, I don't want to spend all day on Trevor Power because I just don't like talking about him at all, really. But I I saw the data. I was just going through it this morning because I was looking at ADP, and I thought, like, Jesus, he's going really high up. Let me dig into the numbers a little bit. Let's just see what happens if he were to sign. You know, without the sticky tack, whatever the hell it was he was using, I, I just can't really see him ever doing what we saw him do in those couple of seasons ever again. To hell with Trevor Bauer, to hell with drafting him, and to hell with people who defend him. That's where we'll leave it, and we're going to talk about these first base rankings because I don't, I don't want to spend more time than is necessary on Trevor Bauer, which really, truly should be no time at all. I, I, I am not... Not a big fan of the guy whatsoever. But let's talk about these rankings. I mean, you guys probably could figure out I was not a fan of him from my last couple of minutes here. But we won't talk about him anymore. We're going to talk about my number 21 through 30 first baseman heading into next season. Now, it's very tricky once you get to this range because no one is really going to be fantastic, you don't think? I mean, there might be one person or two people from you know outside of the top 20 by ADP at a given position that end up providing decent value it's possible it's not very likely now there are some guys here that I really like there are a couple guys here that I am not a huge fan of overall first base is a fairly deep position you know I talked about it before the 2022 season started I had a video titled is first base the deepest position in fantasy baseball and you could maybe make an argument I don't really think it is anymore but it is still you know there are more than 20 guys that you feel very comfortable rostering. Now, once you get past you know, a certain number here, you're looking at more of a utility corner infield kind of player. But there's still a, a quite a bit of depth available for you at the first base position. And we're going to start it off with number 21 here. It's Luisa Rice. And I, part of me wants to rank Luisa Rice higher than this. There is just – he doesn't give you a hell of a lot outside of a fantastic batting average. like, And it is going to be – probably 300 like across the projection systems everybody is is calling more or less for a 300 batting average uh the bat x has them for 297 but the bat at 305 atc at 303 steamer at 304 he's gonna hit close to 300 he's a 314 career hitter that's 
That is his number one category for fantasy. It's just after that, you're not getting a hell of a lot. Like, I really want to rank him higher than this. I want him to be a top 20 guy because he should be, but he just doesn't give you enough home runs. He doesn't steal enough bases. He doesn't drive in any runs from that leadoff spot. He's still very valuable. Like, considering where you're taking him in drafts, which right now is pick 213, and we're looking at uh, drafts since Christmas. I'm kind of, you know, as we go forward, I'm moving the the start of, you know, my range forward a little bit before I was doing from December 1st. Now that we're, you know, middle, end of January, going from uh, December 25th until now, 15 drafts, and we have Luis Arias going to pick 213. It should also be mentioned that he has first and second base eligibility. That boosts him up a little bit farther even. Like, I think he is a good value at this price. But I was worried heading into the year or heading into draft season that maybe we would overprice him a little bit just based on that high batting average from last year. You know, 88 runs is, is the second best category he had, I guess. He's just he's more or less empty batting average. And there is definitely a place for that on your team. If you build a team that is more, let's say, power hitters early on, guys who are going to sell out a little bit and hit 250, 260, you get a Luis Arise type or you know a Stephen Kwan type later on in your draft. You can really do some damage in your batting average. I would say do some damage in a good way. Uh, you can really compensate for some of those early power hitters if you take a Luis Arise. You don't even necessarily have to slot him in at first base. Second base rankings is where we're going to go after this, and he will definitely be higher uh, in my second base rankings than he was in first base rankings because second base is just is just awful. Um, so you could slot him in at first. You could slot him in at second. Either way, uh, I, I really like the thought of taking him where he is going. 213, it feels pretty pretty reasonable, specifically once you start talking about 10, 12-team leagues, uh, more shallower formats. He's not going to be somebody that – I mean, in a DC, you know, you think about it, he's still going in the top third of the draft. If you're talking about a draft champions format where you, you take 750 players at the beginning of the season, they get drafted 50 per team. And then that's what you're working on the whole season kind of thing. No pickups, no fab, no nothing. <clears throat> if you're talking about that kind of format, he's still going in the top third of picks at 213. If you're talking about a 10, 12-team league, one of your last picks, you're going to really bolster your batting average and give yourself some depth there uh, on the right side of the infield. So Luis Arise for me at 21 uh, feels fairly reasonable here. Now, next up, we have Seth Brown at 22. He's actually right in line with uh, with ADP. At the moment, he's going as the 22nd guy, pick 206 overall. Now, Seth Brown, I, I, I like him, and I think there's part of me that thinks maybe he could do even better than what we're expecting. Like, I, I'm very troubled projecting anybody to do particularly well in Oakland in that lineup. It's just it's a terrible park to hit in. There's not really going to be much support from your teammates in terms of counting stats. It's a bad situation overall, but at the same time, he's coming off of a year where he hit 25 homers, he stole 11 bases, and granted, he batted 230, but when you get in that 25 and 10 combination, it looks like it could be fairly legit. If you look at 2021, he had 20 home runs, he stole four bases. Now, what they're projecting this year, looking at ATC, which came out today, actually, uh, ATC is an aggregate of all the other projection systems, they have him for 24 and 9. So, I mean, he gives you that. He's going to be, you know, pretty damn valuable, even regardless of a 228 batting average. Uh, for me, the only real worry is the team context. Like, the, they are just awful. The, there are some teams in baseball where it's the 50 feet of crap meme from, you know, from Moneyball. And I didn't even mean to make that, you know, remark while we're talking about the athletics. 
But, you know, there are some teams, there are, there are good teams, there are poor teams, there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's teams like the Athletics where you look at their roster and their lineup. Kemp, Loriano, Seth Brown, Aledmus Diaz is scheduled to bat cleanup for them. Like, good God, man, that is, that is depressing stuff, and that's where I kind of worry about Seth Brown from the counting stat point of view. Can he get you, you know, 70 RBIs like he did last year? Yeah. That's probably about as much as you're going to hope for, though. There's no, you know, massive counting stat breakout that's going to happen in, for that team in that ballpark. All that being said, though, uh, you're getting good home run numbers past pick 200. You're getting double-digit steal potential. I, I could see worse players to pick in this spot in terms of an overall standpoint. In terms of first baseman, he's kind of, I mean, there are guys beyond him who can hit home runs, but there's nobody past this point where you can get that home run and stolen base combo, albeit with a bad batting average. So 22 for Seth Brown uh, feels pretty reasonable. That's right where he is going in terms of uh, in terms of ADP. Now, next up at 23, I have DJ LeMayhew. He's another guy who is a little bit tricky to, to pinpoint. Now, he does have that first, second, and third eligibility, which is gorgeous. I mean, I, I, I'm not a huge, you know, you need to have multi-position eligibility or else I don't care for you kind of thing. Like I'm not that kind of fantasy manager. I like to have one or two position eligible guys there, uh, multi-position eligible guys there, I should say. But when you're getting somebody who you can slot in at second or third, two of the worst positions in fantasy, I mean, you're, you're going to be pretty, pretty happy with taking him there, especially because he is fairly cheap this year. I picked 253 in past years, DJ LeMayhew, you're talking about like a, a stupidly high draft pick that you had to use in the first couple of rounds. Now you're getting him, you know, past pick 250. He's still in that lineup, and that lineup, you know, I don't think it's the greatest lineup in New York, but I still think it's pretty damn good when you look. I mean, the fact that Judge is back is obviously a huge factor. If Judge had left, then we would have had to really reevaluate the entire New York lineup because he's a huge piece of everything that they do there. But even with him back, I mean, DJ LeMayhew, uh, I, I don't worry so much about counting stats and everything else, partly because Judge is back. Now, funnily enough, looking at roster resource, they don't even have him scheduled to start. I think that he will be in the starting lineup most days, whether it's at second, first, or third, or DHing. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't play a majority of the game still this season. Now, he's getting a little bit older. He's 34 years old. He's going to turn 35 in the middle of next year. But overall, uh, you, between the eligibility, between the fact that you're getting you know, some home runs, good batting average, you'll have decent counting stats. Uh, I, I like taking DJ LeMayhew where he is going, not as somebody who I'd really want in my starting lineup for fantasy, but more so as a nice depth piece where you can plug him in when somebody else has a day off or if there's a nice advantageous matchup. That's, that's where I like him, and that's where you can plug him in based on where he's being drafted. He's not so high where you you know you have to start him kind of thing, top 200 or even higher kind of draft pick. Pass pick 250, like I said, especially in a 10 or a 12-team league, you take him with one of your last picks, which is something I really love to, to look at in terms of NFBC uh, ADP and, and player builds, like looking at guys based on, you know, they're going to be mainstays on NFBC draft champions rosters, but they're not going to be taken so much in those home league situations. You know, there are guys we're going to talk about even today that are not going to be taken in your in your standard home leagues. But I, I think that you could really make an argument for them as like a last pick. Somebody like LeMayhew makes a lot of sense because you can put him all over the field. 
still giving you probably pretty decent overall value. You're going to be talking about more than 100 runs plus RBIs together, most likely a couple steals, a couple homers, good batting average. Uh, overall, I have LeMahieu at 23, just a couple spots ahead of where he's going based on uh, these last 50 in drafts, based on the, the community's consensus, I guess you could say. But let's keep it going, and let's talk about the next guy on the list. I've jumped up a decent little bit here in terms of ADP, in terms of where I am projecting this guy for. He is number 41 based on ADP. <clears throat> I have him at number 24. We are talking about one of the newest members of the Toronto Blue Jays. It's Brandon Belt, and there's a couple of reasons for it. I think that we are going to see – I mean, it's the best lineup that he's been a part of in quite a while. There's that. There's the fact that, you know – it's not a massive boost home run wise or ballpark wise as much as you might think it is going from San Francisco to Toronto they have the same home run park factor for lefties I think it's 97 or 98 I looked it up earlier I don't have it in front of me but it's actually not a huge difference that you're going to see in that regard I think the major boost will be coming from the lineup you'll see more counting stats and maybe he'll hit a few more home runs out but it wouldn't be because of it's such a better ballpark now. It's, it's relatively similar. Overall, park factors, Toronto is much better. But in terms of home runs for left-handed hitters, it's not a massive difference like I was expecting before I took a look at it. Now, he's projected to give you, you know, there's a few different projection systems out there. Obviously, we're looking at ATC because that is the aggregate. 15 homers, 44 RBIs, uh, 43 runs, a couple steals, and a 230 batting average. A 120 WRC plus is what stands out to me there. He should be, while he is out there, I and mean, he might not play as many games as some of the other guys up on this list, but he's going to be really, really, really good while he is out there. Like, I have no question that while Brandon Belt is there, uh, he can give you close to 20 home runs, well over 100 runs plus RBIs put together, and maybe he does steal you a couple of bags. I just really like him in the in this lineup. And I talked about it a little bit on Bench with Bubba when I was on there a couple days ago. I think it came out yesterday when you guys are going to be hearing this. He's going to take away some of those DH at-bats from Danny Jansen and from Alejandro Kirk, which I don't like. But according to Bubba, according to, you know, so he's the one who, who pointed this out to me. I didn't realize beforehand because he's a San Francisco guy. Uh, he, he knows what's going on with guys like Belt and whoever else came from San Francisco. He hears the reports over there. Um, San Francisco or Belt said that he didn't want to sign somewhere unless he was going to be getting a good amount of playing time. In Toronto, I would expect them to play him a good bit anyway, considering the money that they gave him. Uh, it was $8 million, I think. I, I believe it was $8 million. Fangraphs is, they usually have it here at the top of the page, the, the contract that they signed for. Um, it's not here, though, for him for whatever reason. I believe it was $8 million. It's enough where he is going to play a good amount. I would expect over 100 games from, oh, here it is. It's $9.3. $9.3 million. It took a second to load there. They're going to play him, and they're going to play him in the middle of that lineup. He is going to be there pretty much strictly for his offensive output, and I really do think that putting him where I put him at 24 is is very reasonable. Like he, 41 based on uh, ADP right now, and this is mo looking at the most recent drafts. He's actually been bumped up a little bit. Like He's going behind Luke Voigt, who is currently unsigned. Isak Paredes, Jared Walsh is going well ahead of him. And Jared Walsh, like, we don't even know, like, what's going to happen with his injury, thoracic outlet syndrome. We don't really know what's going to happen with him. Christian Betancourt going well above him. Like, Spencer Torkelson is going, on average, just based on these last 15 drafts, 160 picks ahead of Brandon Belt. I don't see a damn reason for that whatsoever. Not huge on Torkelson, so maybe that's not the best example. But, you know, a number of these guys going ahead of him. Matt Mervis is still going ahead of him. And maybe some of those drafts are from 
when uh, before there was the Mancini signing. But man, like you want to talk about somebody who looks very undervalued in drafts right now. Brandon Belt, he looks to be that guy. Maybe I've jumped up a little bit too high. Maybe some people will think that I'm crazy, but I think that 24 is a pretty damn good spot for him at this point. Now, speaking of Trey Boo Boo, Trey Mancini is the next guy that we are going to go over here. I have him at number 25. He is number 30 based on ADP. Now, I, I think that he is going to get a pretty regular role. He should be playing most days out there in Chicago. He's slotted in to be their everyday DH as of right now. Now, he'll, he'll play some first. He is capable of playing the outfield. I don't think that he will lack for playing time. He is projected to play in, uh, I believe, uh, what is it, 100 and, well, the, uh, it kind of varies a little bit, actually, depending on where you look. The bat has him for 138, ATC 115, steamer 123. But either way, he's not going to lack for playing time. He's going to give you somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 20 homers. The counting stats are going to be somewhere in the 120 to 130 range, you'd imagine. Um, you know, 60-ish runs, 60-ish RBIs. He's going to give you a pretty decent batting average as well. Nothing to write home about, but, you know, in the day and age where people bat 230, 220 regularly, he's going to give you a 240, 250 batting average. You know, I believe, let me take a look at the eligibility if he still has outfield. He does still have outfield eligibility. He's going just inside the top 300 picks. And again, a, a perfect target at the end of your home leagues, at the end of your shallow drafts. Last pick, go for Mancini. You get the dual eligibility. You get the home run pop. You get, you know, four categories. You're getting... Maybe you want to call it three and a half categories. Like he batted 239 this past year. It's hard to say batting average is one of his categories. But like I said, you know, it's not bad. It's not terrible considering the way that you know, batting average is in Major League Baseball as a whole. He's given you a 25-plus home run season. He gave you 35 of them in 2019, which we try not to look at too much here on the show because 2019 is all skewed because of the juiced balls. But he's capable of giving you more than 20 homers. He's capable of giving you, you know, close to 100 ribbies. Not that I'd expect... But he can do it. If he did it in that Baltimore lineup, then I wouldn't be shocked if he could do it in Chicago here. He is somebody where you could see a lot of value in him just because people aren't really expecting him to return to those heights. He had cancer. He's been through a lot. He's been traded. He's signed, moved around cities a couple times recently. I don't think people have the craziest high expectations for Trey Mancini. But there should be a lot of RBI opportunities for him in that lineup. Like you look at you look at the way it's constructed, and it's it looks pretty damn good at this point. Like you know the Cubs, God bless them. They they've been not very good since they won the World Series. They've had a couple of good years. The lineup has been depleted. They've lost most of those guys. I think all of those guys really that were mainstays on those you know competitive teams. I think they still have Kyle Hendricks, but I mean, do they even still have Kyle Hendricks? I think they do. Yeah, they still have Kyle Hendricks. What am I talking about? He's just, he just injured. Um, they've lost pretty much all those guys, and they've done a good job, give them credit where it's due, of building up this lineup again. Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Eric Hosmer, Trey Mancini, Cody Bellinger, Christopher Morrell, and Tucker Barnhart. I've seen a lot worse. You know, they like last year, they were worse than that last year. This is a pretty solid lineup with Mancini in the sixth hole. Maybe sometimes he'll bat fifth or fourth. They'll probably move it around a little bit. Uh, you know, the upside for him here is like 85, 90 RBIs. I really think that that is possible for him to reach that, and I wouldn't be shocked if he did. So I have him a couple spots ahead of consensus, but I really do think that Trey Mancini is probably undervalued there as the 30th first baseman going in most drafts. Now let's talk about the next guy I got here. Also probably a little bit higher than consensus on. Yeah, I am higher than consensus. I, I'm just seeing this now because I did not look at ADP really at all while I was putting these together. Here and there, I would by accident, you know, because 
I'm not doing these rankings constantly. I'll do them a couple hours here, a couple hours there. I'll cut out blocks of time for myself. And there might be the odd time where I, you know, look up a player and look at their ADP and or not even like a particular player. It might be a position or it might be a team. And I'll notice, oh, he's going, you know, top 50. He's going, you know, 75, whatever. And there'll be bits of data that do leak into your head. And you, you, you try and keep it separate as much as you can. Now, I'm looking at these ADPs for the first time since completing my rankings, and I'm actually 11 spots ahead of consensus here on Harold Ramirez. He is the next guy we are going to talk about. Now, he is not a sexy player. By any means, he is not somebody that you look at and, you know, he doesn't give you a, a hell of a lot in any individual category, except you could argue batting average. Where he does help, just kind of a little bit, is everywhere. As crazy as that sounds, he gives you a little sprinkling of value across the board. He'll give you some home runs. He'll give you some RBIs. He'll give you some. Uh, he'll give you some runs scored. He'll steal a couple bases and he'll bat. You know, it might not be 300 again, but he's projected for roughly a 280 batting average. If you look across the different projection systems, he's not somebody that I want to have in my starting lineup. He is somebody where you are looking at a bench bat or you know depth in a DC. But at that point, you're getting somebody who's going to be in the middle of the Tampa lineup, and we know that they can surprise. They do it every single year in terms of their production. Will they hit a wall one year and eventually have to start spending money or, or sink? Yeah, they probably will. But as of right now, you know they're still Tampa. They're still that 90-plus win team, pretty solid offense. Wander Franco is probably going to take a step forward. Maybe Randy Rosarena does as well. Uh, we're still not really sure exactly what this team can be yet. But Harold Ramirez, right in the middle of that lineup, should not lack four at-bats, should not lack four batting average and counting stats as well, especially if he does bat fifth here where he's projected. The guys in front of him, Yandy Diaz, who gets on base at a crazy clip, Wander Franco the same, and then Randy Rosarena. I mean, and Brandon Lau as well in the fourth spot. All guys who, you know, Lau had a bad year last year. But still, I mean, you're looking at a possibility for Harold Ramirez to give you like 70, 75 RBIs, 60-ish runs scored, hit you, you know, he's projected for double-digit home runs depending on where you look. Steamer and the Bat X have him for 10, ATC for 9. If he gives you that to go along with his projected four or five steals, a 280 batting average, like, I, it's sleeper territory for me at pick 383. You know, he's probably somebody where you would you'd have to reach a little bit to take him with the last pick of your of your home league draft. And I wouldn't be opposed to doing it. Another guy who is first and outfield eligible. And like I said, a sprinkling of value across the board. He doesn't really excel in any one particular area. He is just a nice baseline across a bunch of different categories. And he can give you, you know, I think a pretty decent season considering where he's being drafted, regardless of where he's being drafted. Uh, but especially because he is a value pick. Uh, I'd be I'd be interested in taking Harold Ramirez for a little bit of depth this year for sure. Now let's talk about number twenty-seven on the list. He has moved up a little bit in the overall rankings. And I actually have him right where he is in ADP. That's hilarious because, like I said, I'm not looking at this. Haven't looked at this ADP data since I finished these rankings. It's Will Myers at twenty-seven. Now uh, he got a big boost when he signed in Cincinnati. I remember looking at some rankings a while back and trying to forget them. But I remember Paul Spohr had him really high. Like, I think he had him top 15, somewhere in that range. And, you know, uh, you could make the argument that he could give you, like, a Brandon Drury-esque season. Uh, you know, holy crap, I just didn't even realize. Will Myers is 32 years old? Wow. That's shocking to me that Will Myers is already that old. It feels like, I mean, he didn't make it. Well, yeah, wow. That's just, 
I'm just flabbergasted. I didn't realize he'd been around that long. That makes me feel kind of old, even though I'm I'm fairly young. I'm younger than Will Myers. That's kind of shocking. Um, wow. Okay, he had a terrible season last year. Sorry, guys. That just that knocked my socks off right there. That he's 32. Uh, he had a pretty pretty terrible season last year. Only played 77 games, but he only gave you seven homers, two steals, and a 261 batting average. Pretty far cry away from what he gave you few years back where he was you know borderline 30-30 player in San Diego for a couple of seasons there now going to Cincinnati we know what that can do for your career that can be a total rejuvenation for for your life for your career uh and it's it's a it's a good possibility anyway that Will Myers outperforms what we're expecting of him this season I don't think the expectations are terribly high pick 264 on average in these DCs that we're looking at here since Christmas I just think that's a pretty reasonable price to pay, honestly. Like, just looking at everything, I know that he has kind of declined in recent years. Like I said, he's not the youngest guy in the world anymore. But he's going to be batting behind some pretty decent names in that lineup. He'll be right behind Stevenson. He'll be right behind, I mean, Joey Votto is somebody where I wanted to have him ranked. He's not in my top 30 uh, first baseman here. I just couldn't do it. But, you know, there's still a chance that he could give you a decent season. I'm not expecting it. But, you know, there are still some names in that lineup ahead of him where you think, okay, these guys could get on base enough. Jonathan India, you know, TJ Friedel. Uh, there's going to be enough RBI opportunities for him. And we could see that power stroke come back being in Cincinnati. We've seen it with a number of players over the years. I, I would not be at all shocked if Will Myers does give you, like, 20 home runs, drives in 70-ish, you know, I think that you could see something similar to what we saw with Brandon Drury last year. And somebody... I feel like as I say that out loud, somebody else might have said that first. I don't think that that's an original thought. It just kind of makes sense here. A guy who has shown good power in the past, going to uh, you know, a crazy power park, the craziest power park that there is, uh, you could see those last couple of years of you know, 17, 15, 18, and, and even 7 last year in an abbreviated season for him, only 77 games. But you could easily see him meet these projections that some of these sites have for him. Steamer has him at 20 homers. The bat has him at 18. The bat X at 60. And ATC has him at 17. I think that you're looking at probably a 250-ish batting average, 20 homers, 70 ribbies, you know, 65, 70 runs, and a couple of stolen bases. And at that point, uh, I think that he's going to be a pretty good value here at pick 27 overall. Or not overall, but in terms of first baseman. Now, there is, of course, the chance that he just doesn't come back to what we saw in the past, a pretty sizable chance. But at the same time, you're not paying a hell of a lot. I, I would be pretty happy to pay the price and find out here. He's also got first base and outfield eligibility. We know how scarce outfield is this year. So maybe you wouldn't even draft him as a first baseman. Maybe where you're taking him, you're just slotting him in as one of your outfielders. Either way, uh, I think that the price is pretty fair for him. I have him right in line with consensus here as first baseman number 27. Now, I'm assuming I'm going to be jumping up again a little bit here in terms of consensus. And yes, I am. I'm jumping 12 spots here. I, I, you know, early rounds, I, I didn't really jump around too much. And it wasn't on purpose. It's just the way that, you know, I didn't see really much reason to move around certain players. Vladdy is still number one. Freddie is still number two. There's There's no need to make, you know, bold takes just for the sake of them. And I feel like we can, we can, you know, sometimes fall into that trap in this industry of wanting to say the spiciest thing so that people will listen, people will click on the link or whatever it is. But 
I, I still think that, you know, at this price for Carlos Santana, uh, he, he's going to make probably a, a lot of sense. And I, I, you know, I say, I say the hot take stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, bash on anybody or anything like that. Um, I'm just probably a little more conservative doing these rankings in my first year than I will be in years going forward. Maybe that's just because I'm newer in the industry. I don't want to rock the boat so much. Not that really anybody is going to give a shit what I have to say if I have Trey Mancini ahead of Seth Brown or if I have Jose Miranda number one in my first. But I don't think anybody's really going to give a shit. But I, I try to stay away from you know crazy drastic moves earlier on in these rankings. But once you get to this point, there is a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of variance, and I do think that Carlos Santana is undervalued. Like I said a second ago, uh, I think he's going to be a pretty good bargain based on where he's going. Four forty is the price. I have him at twenty eight. They have him as the fortieth overall first baseman here off the board. Now there is some things to think about and some things to possibly worry about here. The lineup, even though it's gotten better, it's still not great. I, I don't I don't mind what they got going on at the top with O'Neill Cruz, Brian Reynolds, Cabrian Hayes, G-Man Choi, Andrew McCutcheon, and then Carlos Santana, followed by Jack Sawinski, Rodolfo Castro, Austin Hedges. You know, uh, even if you look at the projections, there could be a good amount of home runs in this lineup, although there's going to be nobody batting over like 250 probably. Uh, you, you're probably going to see a lot of bombs go off in this lineup. And I think that Carlos Santana sits in a pretty decent RBI spot. You know, we saw last season, he, he wasn't great once he was traded, but before he was traded, he was really good. He gave you some solid numbers. The power is still there. We saw 19 home runs last year, 19 the year before. He gets on base like an animal. We've always known that. He walks you know, for the career at a 15% clip this past season. It was 14. So side note, if you are playing in an on-base percentage league, you can probably even boost him up higher than 28. I think that, you know, when you look at the shift ban going away, something that Matt Williams pointed out to us when he was on the pod maybe a month ago, when he was running his own, uh, you know, projections and whatnot, looking at how the shift will impact people or the lack of shift will impact people, Carlos Santana came away as the one who was going to have the biggest impact from the removal of the shift based on Matt's own Matt's own findings. And I, I can see that. He is an extreme pull hitter. He is somebody where, you know, if you take away those infielders all stacked on the right side or the left side, depending on what side of the plate he's on, uh, you could see that batting average return, probably not to what it used to be. But these last couple of years for him, we're looking at 199, 214, and 202. There's definitely room for that to go up to like 220, 225, 230 even. Some of these projections have him for, you know, 215 the bat, 222 the bat X. Uh, Steamer has him for 230, and I think that that's probably the closest to what I would expect. Based on the lack of shift, I think that that's what we're going to see out of him. Now, the counting stats... Like I said, in that lineup, probably won't be the greatest, but you probably see, like you can see twenty home runs and seventy RBIs from him. That wouldn't shock me, and that's something that you know it's fairly in line with the trajectory of his career at this point. It's pretty much what he's done these last couple of seasons: twenty and sixty-five, seventy kind of RBI range, you know, sixty odd runs. That would be where I would want to take him. Uh, that would be what I would expect from him, I should say. Now, in terms of where I want to take him. He's going very cheap. 440 right now is his ADP in these last 15 drafts. And even within those 15 drafts, there's a lot of variance. 363 is the minimum pick. 551 is his maximum pick. You're looking at nearly 200 spots there just from 15 drafts. So people still really don't know how to value Carlos Santana. I'd be valuing him higher than the consensus here. I'd pick at 
40. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some guys in the 30s here in terms of the rankings. And I mentioned them earlier. And even up into the 20s with Matt Mervis, uh, there's some uncertainty there. Christian Betancourt, Torkelson, Wilmer Flores. Uh, I like Wilmer Flores, but are we liking him more than Carlos Santana? Maybe some people will. Personally, I'm not going to. Jared Walsh, we mentioned. Isaac Paredes, Luke Voigt. There's a lot of risk there with the guys who are going directly ahead of him in terms of your first baseman. So while he is kind of an old dog at this point, maybe he you know, regresses farther and he you know, goes out the back door into retirement at some point. It is possible, but they gave him money. They gave him the biggest contract they'd signed in years. Very sad at $6.7 million, but he's going to play. He's going to be in the middle of that lineup, and I think that you're looking at a bargain considering where he's going in these drafts. At 440, can't really go wrong with a little bit of bench depth, a little bit of Carlos Santana. Let's move on and talk about the next guy we have on this list. It's Garrett Cooper. And again, I'm jumping over consensus here by quite a bit by 10 picks. Garrett Cooper is one spot ahead of, of Carlos Santana in terms of ADP at 420 in terms of his in terms of his ADP, 20 spots ahead of Santana, but just one first baseman. I have him at 29. I don't again, it's the same arguments. I don't see the reason why these other guys are ranked ahead of him still. And maybe it's just older drafts that are catching. Let me change the the filter here and see. You know, just based on from New Year's Day, let's say. And we trim it down to eight drafts that have taken place. Let's see if that makes any real difference here. It doesn't. You know, Gary Cooper is going 10 spots higher. So is Carlos Santana. They're still 39 and 40. I think they're both still very undervalued. Garrett Cooper, he's some, I believe he was an all-star last year, actually, which I try and avoid looking at that stuff. But I think he was, in fact, on the all-star team. Uh, he gave you a good season, you know, despite the fact that it wasn't Greatest season, batted 261, 50 RBIs. You know, he only hit nine home runs, but, you know, he plays you a more full season, which is, I mean, 119 games, you're not far off from it. But if he, you know, give you 120, 130, 140 games, and he gave you 120. If he gives you 130, 140 games, he's going to give you a pretty solid batting average. You know, the home run, if you look at the projections, and part of this is the projections. This is not just me randomly saying I think Gary Cooper's going to have a good season. He's projected to have the best season of his career next year, albeit with maybe a slightly lower batting average than what we're used to, but he's projected for 13, 15 home runs. You know, 55 to 60 runs scored, 60, 65 RBIs, and about a 260 batting average. He gives you that, especially from where he's going, past pick 400. That's a great piece of bench depth for you in case one of your you know proper stud first baseman gets hurt. He's not somebody that – and once we're at the point of here where we've been here for a few players now. You're not taking these guys really in your in your home leagues, most likely. Like I said, maybe, maybe last pick just you know as a dart throw. But these are more for deeper league draft champion kind of players. I would not want Garrett Cooper on my 12-teamer as a first baseman. No question. He is not going to cut it in that kind of format. But I'm pretty happy taking him here in a DC to add a little bit of depth to my bench, you know, in the hopes that he does live up to these projections. I like him. Uh, he's hit over 283 times in his career. Granted, small sample sizes, and we're talking in 2020 it's hard to really even count it, but he hit 283. He hit 284 the year after that. He hit 281 the year before that, and that was the big sample size in 2020, or excuse me, in 2019. Now, if there's any worry, it's that he hit his career high in home runs during the 2019 season, which was 15, but, you know, I'm going to fall back on the projections a little bit here for Garrett Cooper and, you know, kind of expect that he's going to live up to them here, and I don't like to do that for most players, 
But with Garrett Cooper, I think that there's something that they are seeing that we're not quite seeing here because all the projection systems are pretty in line with the fact that, yeah, he's going to get back to that home run total. He's going to give you, you know, the counting stats are projected to be pretty good. But it's that home run that really stands out to me. But, I mean, the counting stats are nice, too. You're batting behind Chisholm, probably Gene Segura in that lineup. There there will be RBI opportunities. But I think with the batting average and home runs, uh, those are the two reasons to to really think about drafting him. Not that the batting average is crazy high, but, you know, 260, 270, it's a lot better than a lot of other first basemen. So it's something to keep in mind there for sure. Now we are down to our last first baseman here on our leaderboard, not our leaderboard, our rankings. I didn't want to rank this guy anywhere because I think I have some kind of bias against him the more I think about it. It's Joey Manessis. And my beef with Joey Manessis, and it's not even with him, it's with the projections that have been put out for him. I think that they're setting us up and they're setting him up, assuming he looks at them. Because I'm, you have to assume that Major League Baseball players look at these. They're, Fangraphs is, is a pretty big site. You figure, you know, they're going to take a look at what the general public is expecting of them this season. He's projected to be like a borderline all-star level player this year. And, you know, we're talking about a career minor leaguer who came up, he got a cup of coffee, and he drank it, man. 56 games, 13 homers, 34 ribbies. He batted 324. He also had a 371 BABIP, okay? So we have to take a, take a look at that. We have to look at the fact that it was a very small sample size where you are getting probably pretty lucky if you're you know someone who's spent 10-plus years in the minors, never been called up. You know He had some good seasons in, in the minors. In AAA in 2018, he had a good year. Couple of you know, the most recent couple of years in AAA were were pretty good, but again, this is somebody with no track record of success at the major league level. This is somebody where you're you're hoping and praying that he can take what he did over 56 games and you know do that over the course of a whole season. It's Frank Schwind- Schwindel. I think we used to call him Swindle, Frank Schwindel, because he, he swindled people who drafted him this past year. I think it's Schwindel, though, in all honesty. I've just, in my own head, called him Schwindel so many times that I, I forget what the real one is. Not not the, not the shit on the guy, obviously. Not that he's going to listen to this, but, you know, uh, you feel bad, really, if you, if, you, if you shit on certain players when it's not really their fault. He just kind of didn't live up to what we were expecting out of him, and we were expecting, you know, a small sample size to repeat over an entire season when there was no track record of it. It's the same exact thing with Manessis. I remember when the steamer projections came out, and they're still ridiculous. Like, I think that they've been adjusted a little bit, but Jesus Christ, man. 27 homers, 86 RBIs, a 264 batting average. There is no chance that he is going to get anywhere near that. I And let me just take a look at what they were, because I, I put out some tweet with him, or with the stats when they first came out. Originally, there were 29 homers, 78 runs, 91 RBIs. I think that they were having a drink or something over there because it's just, it makes no sense. Like now when you look at the projections, they're a little more sane. If you look at ATC, it's 22, 61, 71, as opposed to, you know, 79 and 91 and a 260 average versus a, a whatever. What did I say it was now? I just, I just closed the phone up. 264. I just don't think even this is going to happen. Like in my own head, and I just said a minute ago with Gary Cooper, I'm relying on the projections a little bit more because I think they see something that we don't see. With Joey Manessis, I think that they're trying to see something that you know is not there. I, I, with with Cooper, I, I think that there is still a good chance that he can give you something similar to what we saw in that 2019 season. As much as I don't like to look at that year as anything really, 
you take his batting average, you take you know, a couple of years worth of good batting average and the potential for 15, 20 home runs, you think, okay, he's going to be batting third in his lineup. And I think Manessis is going to be probably somewhere at the top of his lineup too. Yeah, he's projected about third as well. But, man, at least with Garrett Cooper, we got a couple of seasons of a 280 batting average, you know, double-digit home runs, blah, blah, blah. We're literally talking 56 games with Manessis. And, yes, he shined in those 56 games. He was incredible. But there, I don't feel comfortable ranking him any higher than 30th. I didn't even really want to rank him just because I, I truly think there's a chance that we're going to be drafting him. And, boy, oh, boy, are people drafting him, man. Uh, where is he going? 22nd in terms of first baseman. I thought it was a little bit higher, actually, than that. But 207 overall, like he is going 240 picks, 250 picks ahead of Brandon Belt. I'll, I'll take Brandon Belt any day of the week, man. You take the track record. Almost every single time you take the track record over the unproven guy. And I don't, you know, some people will say he did prove it. He gave you this, blah, blah, blah. That's not proving anything when you have a good stretch of time, even if it's a third of a season, which, you know, good for him. He's a great feel good story. I loved it when he came up and he started doing this. Always rooting for fellow Joes, but at the same time, man, like I, I'm still gonna be rooting for him. I'm not hoping for the worst. I'm just like, not expecting the best. If that phrasing makes sense, there. I just think that we're setting ourselves up for disappointment based on where his draft price is early on uh, in draft season. But we're not so early on in draft season anymore. I guess we are. It's starting to really get going. Fantasy football is done. Fantasy basketball is in the second half of the year. Same with hockey. Pretty soon, baseball will be the main priority here of everybody's. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the show. I, I really appreciate all the support. You guys have been downloading like crazy. January is going to be our most downloaded month of the pod ever. So I, I really appreciate all of that support. Uh, we are going to continue doing our team previews. Now, we are. Uh, I'm still working on figuring things out. I have certain people scheduled but without actual times attached to them. Uh, Frank Stanfield is going to be on talking Yankees. We're going to have Kevin Hastings talking Royals. We're going to have the Welsh talking Arizona Diamondbacks. There are going to be a lot of people coming on the pod that you guys know and love. So make sure you subscribe, you download the podcast, you leave those nice ratings and reviews. Helps other people see the pod as well. I'd really appreciate that one. If you guys want to go ahead and follow Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter, that's where all of this content will be released from. These podcasts, written work, our draft guide, everything in season, Ethos Fantasy BB is the account for you guys to go ahead and follow. But until tomorrow, we will see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> that was horrible phrasing. We're going to do that again. Guys, I will see you again tomorrow. And until then, take care and cheers. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.